Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, um, okay, so... <laughs> did, did, didn't go as planned. Did not go as planned. Um, and, and yes, we have a lot to talk about. Yes, uh... We've definitely heard from a lot of you uh, that you're waiting for us. Uh, so we're, we're here. We're going to break this thing down. Um, it was not pretty. Can, can I interject? I, I just yes. want to like, say – go ahead, Scuzz. Well, I just – so I was traveling this weekend, and I was basically like, sorry, guys. I cannot, you know, I cannot jump in on this. I'm confident we are going to give you all a much better pod because it has given – you know, J- John has poured over this tape. Uh, I have been – calculating crazy stats in Excel for the last two hours. Like we're, we're in, we're in a far better place, um, both in terms of preparation and just like our mental state, uh, than we were 48 hours ago. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd like, to, I'd like to revise my prediction. Um, I think we're going to go 11 and one now. It didn't dialed go back. how we thought people, but we have dove deep. Like Scuzz said, we have, we're going to bring it to you. So before we dive in, I, I do want to say thank you to everyone who had came up to us at the tailgate before the game in the West lot and said hi. There were a ton of you guys who, who swung by our tailgate. Uh, hopefully most of you grabbed some Raisin Canes um, or a, a brat, a, one of our you know, patented beer brats. Um, you know, thank you for everyone who came by and to talk to us. We really appreciate it. It was really great to, to see some of you guys um, come over. And, you know, we're going to be doing that again. I'm not 100% sure where we're, where our tailgate is for this weekend, but uh, we'll definitely be mentioning it on, on Twitter once we figure that out exactly. Um, but and thank you. And thanks to Lauren Withrow, too, from yes. SI Wildcats Daily for coming by um, and filming that awesome segment with us. Again, it's up on um, Sports Illustrated. It's up on, you know, Lauren's SI Wildcats Daily Spot. Um, we've tweeted it. Um, she's tweeted it. It was just a ton of fun, um, and and super fun, and super fun for um, that we got to include our our buddy Hef, who runs the tailgate right now and does such a good job. Um, so that that was just it was just a, a great time. Yeah. So once again, thanks for everyone who stopped by. Uh, keep keep on doing it. Um, then we went inside. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, I mean, and, and, you again, know, again, again. The national Weird. anthem well, was great. Um, yeah, the, the night the skydivers coming in—that was pretty cool. Listen, we're not going to apologize for our optimism. We're just not going to do it because there is a lot to be excited about for this team. Michigan State hit us in the right places, and we made some crucial mistakes. But you know, when you look at the numbers, this game, at least as far as the numbers go, was closer than the final score indicated. Yeah, and I, and, and I want to emphasize, like, we're not here, like, for moral victories, but, like, RMO, we're big fans, right? We're we're generally going to be glass half half full. Um, you know, I think John said it last last time out. Like, we don't we don't try to sugarcoat it. We, the, like, there's there's some definite stuff to be concerned about, and there's some stuff that the coaching staff and the players have their work cut out. They've got to get better on. But at the same time, like, all the teams we previewed, I shouldn't say all, but most of the teams we previewed this spring, right? Our premise. Iowa, Michigan State, Minnesota, ourselves, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Illinois, like 
everyone had warts. Everyone had things they were trying to 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 be, players they were trying to to replace, um, coaches that had shifted, uh, things that didn't go well last year, and like outside of Michigan State and Iowa, ain't none of those teams figured it out, Northwestern included. So like I I, I say that to say like. There was a lot of reason for us to be excited. I think there's some stuff we called out that maybe we should have emphasized a little bit more. I think at the same time, like if, if we all knew Hunter Johnson's stat line in advance of this game, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a wildcat fan on the planet that wouldn't think it was going to be a Northwestern win. So. Right. And I think with all that said, when, when this unfolded before our eyes in horrifying fashion, I think um, what, we want you guys to understand is, and I think, you know, those of you who've been listening to our pod regularly know this, like we had, it was a giant gut punch, but we had an overwhelming desire to understand what happened. And after that, we threw ourselves into, I don't know that we have dug as deep after a game as we did after this one. And I think because of that, we feel that we have kind of reached this, level of laser precision on exactly what happened in this game and we'll present it to you because some things went really wrong and other things that I think people are ascribing blame to we did not really see go wrong and like Scott said like some things were huge problems and those problems have got to get fixed and other things weren't and I think you know we'll hopefully we'll we'll map it all out for you as best as we see it and then after that, I think at on the measure, I think you'll feel pretty good about Northwestern's capacity to deal with these things and move on. But you'll definitely, we hope, feel like you get it. There's there's kind of one other thing that I know I wanted to just throw out there off the top. I know like Jay's been talking about this, other folks have been talking about this, and that's just like it is really frustrating, you know, knowing that Northwestern had holes that they needed to fill. So did all these other teams, but to see Mel Tucker and his staff weave together all those transfers and new guys at Michigan state. And to see our coaches struggle to do that. Like, like obviously we're going to diagnose this, like John just said, and whatever the players did or didn't do on the field, there's a preparation component that I always feel belongs to the coaches and the September issues that have played Northwestern for years. (laughs) That's Uh, that's, that's the important distinction, man, because a lot of people are trying to hang this on Jim O'Neill. And it's like, again, we're going to get into the granular specifics it, of this. But it's like, this problem has pre-existed Jim O'Neill. And but, for whatever reason, Northwestern snake bit by this. That being said, O'Neill did not have the greatest uh, debut at defensive no, coordinator. Uh, well, and that's the thing. It's right. I mean, it's like, that's that's where the buck is going to stop. And you're absolutely right. But I think, again, we're going we're gonna to get into this and... I think it's like, you know, I'm almost like, part of me is like almost like monster of our own creation, but a lot of people were going after the coordinator here and we were kind of like, okay, it's one game, but beyond that, beyond any kind of generality, again, we're about to get into the specifics and you will see, um, but, um, you know, prior to that, just know that I think there, there were some issues and those issues exactly as Scuzz said, um, we would ascribe to preparation issues and as opposed to scheme, as opposed to decisions made in the moment, those things we did not really see. Uh, so we should probably start with the first play of the game. Um, 
the running back we, who shall not be named. Do we have to? I mean, do we? <laughs> when, when, when you give up, when you give up a seventy-five yard touchdown on the first play of the game, obviously so, there there is something so, that happened. So if if you guys will extend me a little bit of latitude, um, yeah, I I have a, a way that I kind of want to frame this because obviously you know we all y'all know. We got to start with the defense. We're going to get to the offense, the good, the bad, and everything. We're, we're going to walk you through it. We have to start with the defense, obviously. Like Sam said, I mean, from the first play on, boy, what a gut punch, and it goes from there. Um, but, again, I have watched every single play of this game so many times in the past couple of, of days um, in a need to understand exactly what played out here and where the real problems were, okay? Um and because there you go, I think in the immediate aftermath of the game, um, we put up some tweets to the effect that, you know, look at the secondary, JR pace was missed. Um, Cam Ruiz, for all of his, you know, kind of issues against the pass last year, his prowess against the run was missed. And then we kind of got a lot of tweets back from people being like, no, it was the linebackers. No, it was the defensive line. No, it was the tackles. No, it was the ends, etc. So then I was kind of like, oh, did I, was I kind of like wrong about this and then watch the tape two times three times four times five times i'm not gonna say i don't know what to tell you folks which is what i would say probably on previous pods i'm not gonna say that i'm just gonna show you and the easiest way to show you is to present it like this Uh, john remember this is an audio medium we don't have yeah right i so. i am going to i'm going to set the stage for you you'll be able to visualize it as if you were watching it on tv john stepping up to his chalkboard right now yeah right the the, tele, <laughs> the invisible telestrator that goes out through the airwaves so with about 11 minutes left in the game um we were up oh, we were down 28-14 we had just scored um a bunch of the northwestern fan base uh, was leaving And a large portion of it was deciding whether or not they were going to choose to remain for the rest of the game. There was a feeling to an extent that the game had been decided by some, but there were 11 minutes left. And as much as the problems had existed up until this point, we had just scored. We had a little bit of momentum. And at that point, um, Kenneth Walker walked out onto the field um, to with the Michigan State offense. The reason I'm bringing this up is, at that point in the game, Kenneth Walker had 98 yards on two carries, and he had three rushing touchdowns, okay? Two of his carries had totaled 98 yards and a touchdown. Those two carries were caused by the secondary, by the same guys making the same errors in the exact same way. And furthermore, Michigan State's third longest carry of the game up until that point was an 18-yard Peyton Thorne option keeper that was caused by the secondary, by the same guys, making the same errors. And Kenneth Walker had three touchdowns at that point, and two of those touchdowns were caused by the secondary, by the same guys, making the same errors. Aside from... Those two plays where he gained 98 yards and scored a touchdown, at that moment in the game, Kenneth Walker had 59 yards on 13 carries. That is 4.5 yards a carry, 
that is less than what Evan Hall averaged in this game if you take out his long run, okay? He had been stuffed at the line six times. He had one 14-yard carry. He had no other carries over 10 yards other than those two long carries we already talked about, okay? And again, those carries were caused by secondary errors. And when I say errors in the secondary, I'm not just kind of being amorphous. It was specific guys in the secondary making those errors. I have no interest in calling those guys out by name. Suffice to say that by this point in the game, with about 11 minutes left, when Kenneth Walker was walking back onto the field, we were starting a group of guys in the secondary that was different than the group that had started the game. Okay, so at this point, you step back and realize, look, you can look at a guy like Pete McIntyre. He actually had a pretty good game. You can look at the middle linebackers where, again, I wouldn't say they passed the eye test, but you realize everything. And we can kind of circle back to it in a second. All the different formations Jim O'Neill tried that led up to this point in the game. Okay, like. The middle linebackers had not been on the field very often. And one single middle linebacker had really not been on the field very often because we were trying out multiple 4-2-5 looks. But anyway, up until this point, but for a couple localized but severe, to say the least, errors in the secondary, Kenneth Walker had 59 yards on 13 carries. At this point in the game, Jim O'Neill rolled the dice because he decided we're down 28 14 we haven't had a spark we need a spark we need to get the offense back on the field they just put a good drive together if we're going to climb back into this game it starts now and he rolled the dice he called a cornerback blitz out of man coverage so aj hampton rolled up to the line and he came on a corner blitz Brandon Joseph dropped deep third as a zone, and Chris Bergen, Cam Mitchell, and Coco Azima all played deep one-on-one man coverage on their man. This was a sellout gamble, hoping Michigan State was going to throw the ball. And if Michigan State was going to throw the ball, no one would have seen A.J. coming. He would have rocked Peyton Thorne for a sack or... Thorne would have thrown it up deep into coverage. These were the options. It was a play that depended on Michigan State throwing it. It was a risk, and Michigan State did not throw. They ran. They all down-blocked. Okay, Our defensive end blew the tackle, and the minute he did, A.J. Hampton's already behind the play. The only other player to the right side of the field is Coco Azima, who is in deep man coverage at this point. And that was a 50-yard run. And that is the moment when everyone else in the stadium, except for the diehards, got up and walked out. This is all a way of saying there were incredibly localized things in this game that led to Walker having this massive day that were very severe They are mainly secondary issues involving contain and tackling angles that have got to be sorted out. But there was no 
massive holes being blown in our defensive line. There was no linebackers totally screwing up where they were supposed to be at anything at any given time. There was no, and this was a major bone of contention for the Northwestern fan base following this game. And I know, Scuzz, you and I have talked about this. Like, there was no defensive ends getting eaten alive at the line of scrimmage. It happened once or twice. This was not a repeated thing. And especially as it pertains to defensive linemen getting optioned, that's the guy getting optioned. The whole point is to take him out of the play. It's the guys behind him who've got to step up. But it's all a long way of saying there were these massive errors in this game that were mainly contain and tackling issue errors that came from the secondary, from a specific subgroup of guys in the secondary that, again, it's not my goal here to call out specific guys. It's just to say you can at once have, you can at once have issues that are very localized and at the same time, have those issues lead to massive problems. And defensively, that is what happened in this game. Well, I think I think it's fair to say that's what kind of blew it open, right? Because obviously being down as much as we were, 21 nothing, you know, it, it impacts certainly the psyche of the guys, the coaches, the offense, all that sort of stuff. And I think there's some – I think there's some more um, – I don't want to say systemic, but some more uh, – broad problems or, or, or maybe concerns that we have. But I think like to say Northwestern's defense is horrible or my God, without Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher, we have no hope or my God, without Craig Newsom, we have no hope. Like, like those things aren't true. Um, and I think, you know, to, to call out some of the, some of the broader concerns. So like, like the two big runs from Walker, right? Missed tackles contain problems, Tackling was really bad on the day, um, and Walker. I think Walker led the the nation with you know two hundred some yards after contact. Uh, like that's that's a major problem. You saw arm tackles. You saw you. I, I think what's what's so striking and frustrating to me, and this goes to the contain issue as well. And we talked about it in our in our season previews. Like the guys that were playing in Northwestern secondary all had experience. They all played against Tank Bigsby, who, by the way, averaged six yards per carry in the SEC last year in the bowl game against Auburn and shut him down. So, like, it's there's a combination here of first game of the year, new system, whatever September bugaboo is up, you know, up Northwestern's collective butt, um, and then you know, so like what, like whatever the mental headspace is against against Michigan State, because the the types of errors we were seeing are some of the same things that happened last year against Michigan State. So, you know, wh- whether it's you know being over aggressive, because I think I think a, I think a criticism you could give the front seven on the defense is that they were a bit over aggressive early in the game. That's going to happen. I mean, that's not what caused us to be down twenty one nothing at the right. end of the first quarter. To John's point, but like so, yeah, like you got to separate these things a little bit. I think in your mind as you evaluate, like. That, the, the kind of broad bad stuff and then what actually torpedoed the game. That was kind of one of my points that I was going to make when I talked about those two massive plays. And then aside from that, the 13 carries for 59 yards that Walker had up until that point and being like, yeah, the linebackers had a couple plays they could have done better. Yeah, the defensive line, there was a play where Tommy Adeware and I bring him up by name only because 
a lot of people have been hanging him out to dry after this game undeservedly. And because most of the plays people have in their mind when they're thinking about him, he was being optioned. And the whole point of that is to take him out of the play. Um, And so that's part of that. But the other part is there was a play where he did not maintain his keep his shoulders square and he got turned and a play got to his outside. That was for a three yard touchdown run. So it was for a touchdown, but it was a three yard run and Michigan state was likely already going to be scoring at that point. So there are other plays where again, he was optioned and there was one play that was a big gain where he took Thorne on the option and the back went the other way. But again, he's being optioned. It's the guys behind him that, that have to step up. And I believe the play that I'm thinking of, um, well, no, actually, that's not true. There was a play later on in the game. The other thing, too, is too is there were bad tackles in this game. The last drive of the game, which everyone on TV saw, most of the people in the stadium didn't see because they had left by this point, but the last Michigan State drive was true Keystone Cops. It was awful. It was a comedy of errors. Three of the secondary players who were in the secondary at that point blew tackles on that drive. And remember, two guys had already been subbed out at that point. Um, It was a mess. The game had been decided by that point, which is not to excuse it, but it's just to say, like, if the things, the major issues had gone right earlier in that game, again, like, Walker is a good back. But at that point in the fourth quarter, he should have had about 70 yards at about 4.5 yards a carry. And we should have been locked in a tight game with Michigan State. And everything, so it's like, we're talking about linebackers got to make better reads. Linebackers got to tackle. Defensive lines got to seal a little bit better. All of those things come off of that 4.5 yards per carry number. Because I can't stress enough how much of a mess the secondary was in terms of blowing contain and taking bad angles leading to those massive plays early on. And, you know, because you mentioned Patty Fisher, my big takeaway is like, look, we don't know at this point what we have at middle linebacker. Certainly we didn't get a lot of value added from that position. I wouldn't really say that either guy really won the job. Plus we didn't put a middle linebacker on the field for a lot of this game. If you put Patty Fisher and Kenneth Walker in the middle of the field and you have a race to the sideline, <laughs> Kenneth Walker's going to win that race. Every well, time. Yeah. No shade to Patty. No shade to Patty. Yeah, no shade to uh, Patty. But it's just like that's where those plays went. So, you know. Well, well and I think it's also important to call out. We talked about this in our in our preview in that, you know, the, the, the offensive line and the running backs were the clear strengths for Michigan State. You know, they were bringing back eight guys with starting experience, all of last year's starting five. You saw their center went down and they didn't even miss a beat. Um, everything stemmed from that, right? Like, they had a lot of success. They took advantage of some miscues by our defense. Uh, not only did they get points, but they really established that that part of the ball, which opened up play action. Uh, you certainly saw Peyton Thorne make some really nice throws. He has certainly progressed as a QB from what we've seen in the past. So, like, credit to them. I think the big question and, and John, I feel like I was interrogating you over text as I was traveling back to Cincinnati today. But like, how do we how do we fix this on defense? What do we do going forward? Well, so like the the, the one thing that I wanted to talk about with the relative to the fixing of it, because, again, a lot of people were handling this were, were kind of laying this on O'Neill, right? Like, oh, this is O'Neill. And again, like Scott said, from a preparation standpoint, I'm, I'm not going to quibble again. 
this has been an issue that predates O'Neill. I'm saying whoever's in charge here, Northwestern's got a problem in this regard, and that problem has to get fixed in a general sense. Just know, in the moment as these things were going on, Jim O'Neill was doing a ton of stuff to try to put this fire out. So as we all know, A.J. Hampton was not listed as a starting cornerback going into this game. It's now pretty clear from the amount of 4-2-5 we played in this game that you could almost read that as an original intent to put A.J. Hampton at nickelback as much as possible because it's, you know, I think we all got spoiled by Patty and Blake, etc. And, a new you know, we were hoping, and again, this goes to our optimism, we were hoping that one of the middle linebackers would come out and just show out immediately. Now, again, don't hang the big gash plays on the middle linebackers. It didn't play out like that. We certainly did not see a dominating performance out of our, our middle linebackers. Those guys are are brand new in terms of getting reps. Um, and that's going to be a work in progress. And I think O'Neill's plan was to mitigate a lot of that by playing as much 4-2-5 as possible, knowing that he had a really eager hitter in Hampton to be able to play nickelback. The problem was, right off the bat, there became an issue that we had this entire side of the field that had massive issues popping up in this game against the run. So O'Neill tried to deal with that really quickly by shifting to a 4-2-5. A, because a 4-2-5 effectively puts Chris Bergen into the middle of the field. Instead of flexing out with a wide receiver, he's back in the middle where he can cover, cover the most ground. And just to interject, it's worth noting that that's exactly how Michigan State targeted the defense initially was like, get Bergen out of the play. Exactly. And that was, and the thing, that's that's a, a, a carryover from last year. And we should note too, right, that that people who are getting on O'Neill, if O'Neill had come in and tried to in like integrate all of his schemes, all the Rex Ryan tree stuff right off the bat, and it had gone wrong, he'd be getting eviscerated right now. More and than anything, he already is then? Yeah, well, that's the thing, because if anything, some of the issues are kind of issues with the with the holdover, the the the, the scheme staying the same with the turnover changing over because Chris Bergen's always been that kind of cheat code where you can effectively play a four two five with him because you can flex him out, but it helps in that situation to have Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher in the middle of the field. And, you know, and Pete McIntyre had a pretty good game. The more tape you watch, the better he looks. But that, as as Gus said, that was Michigan State's plan. They realized that really quickly, that they could pull him away and go the other way. They did it to great effect in this game with those bounce-out plays that worked. Um, so when O'Neal did make his initial switch to the 4-2-5, he did it, but he didn't put— he kind of tried to kill two birds with one stone— he also put A.J. Hampton outside at corner where, folks, depth chart or no depth chart, that's where A.J. Hampton is most likely going to be from this point forward. And then the problem was the minute we did this, Michigan State, who, as you guys said, Mel Tucker had a solid game plan. They already knew they had had great success running at certain guys to that side of the field. And now one of those guys was effectively playing nickelback, effectively a third linebacker. They immediately ran their first read option play of the game to that side to see what that guy would do. And it went the exact way they were hoping it did. And that was their third longest carry of the game. That was Peyton Thorne going for 18 yards um, on a keeper. Third longest up until 
the early fourth quarter. And after that point, O'Neal switched, put Bryce Jackson and Coco Azima on the field at the same time and made one of them the nickelback and went 4-2-5 with that group. That actually had some effect in the fourth quarter. Um, And then there was a moment where Michigan State was able to get down close to the goal line. Our starting secondary went back in. That starting secondary, albeit from only five yards out, was immediately burned to the outside again for yet another time. And that was the last time you saw two of the initial starters in the game on the field in that football game. And from that point on, we went base 4-3. And it was Coco and it was AJ out there. And I think, so O'Neal was trying a lot of things. Again, we mentioned he really rolled the dice tried to try to make an impact play in the fourth quarter. Again, I'm not absolving of all this. I'm just saying he was trying in the moment to make adjustments that would work things out. Eventually, you know, to a point, things leveled off a little bit. But again, I'm not, I'm not absolving him. I know a lot of people want to hang a lot of this on him. I'm just saying to, to this point, right, like you can't. I think after one game and especially seeing some of these things, yeah, from a, a guy's ready-to-play standpoint, I get it. But from, from a scheme standpoint, from a trying-to-solve-problems-in-the-moment standpoint, I don't see that. So I, I do want to talk about the other side of the ball a little bit. I mean, great deep dive on onto what we saw from the defense. Oh, but I, I, I do want to say really quickly before we get off it, because I know Scuzz had asked another question. There, the flip side of this is as bad as this was. The silver lining, just defensively, is it's some of its really localized issues. And even the guys who had the very worst games, and again, some of those, some guys may have lost their starting spots, and we're going to see how that plays out over the next week or two. But even for those guys, these are not athleticism issues. These are not, you know, talent issues. It's guys needing to be in the right place at the right time and and wrap up when they're there. Um, And yeah, the one thing I wanted to dig in there, you you and I were going back and forth on this earlier today. Sorry, Sammy, to to delay some of the offense here. But um, I think this is worth pointing out because like the one the one, I guess, quibble I'd have with that comment that it's not about athleticism is, you know, when you look at McIntyre and, and Jones, they're not fast players, right? They're not Blake Gallagher fast players and fair. What that means is is it, it puts more pressure on the contain, right? Um, and if you're gonna play that, you know, those heavier linebackers on the field, you need to make sure your contain on the back end is is rock solid. But like, is there anything else we can do there? Is like, is that just the nature of the mesh of the defense and how it's gonna stretch on the personnel? Or do you think, John, that we're gonna see other guys rotating in to see if there's another another mix at linebacker that could change that it so it's it's tough because you can tell that with our 4-3 look as this unit and again we still don't know we don't know what O'Neill's going to try to integrate as the season goes on but as it currently exists it's the biggest guys seem to play and McIntyre is great size again he is not fleet of foot but he was good in this game in fact a bunch, he was a really solid tackle. A bunch of those stuffed at the line plays, he was personally responsible for. And this is a guy for as much experience as he has in the program, does not have a heck of a lot of game reps. You can look at him and see the upward trajectory. So yeah, he could be faster. Um, but 
he gets where he he needs to be and he hits like a freight train and he's enormous yeah and and with the other middle linebacker scott spot you're right we're gonna see it does bode mentioning because uh you know fits uh in the in the uh i'm not effing around department fitz's fitz's opening week statement this week specifically in the span of about 20 words he said a that there was no defensive player of the week and b that practice players of the week were trent carrington and mac uline so uh to say that uh you know it's going to be an interesting week of practice would be putting it lightly but in the case of a guy like uline just just know everybody He's 205 pounds. He's about 25, 20 pounds lighter than Chris Bergen, who is not a large linebacker. He'll get bigger, but that's the issue you're looking at if you're trying to integrate a guy like that in the 4-3 that we're using right now. So again, it's like we're going to see. What we really want is for either Khaled Jones or Bryce Gallagher, um, who both looked mediocre in very limited effort uh, very limited action in this game we just need one of those guys to seize the bull by the horns now jones went out hurt at the end of this game and you know we don't know what that is and we're not going to know until indiana state hopefully we see him out there but um but again yeah from from those guys perspective like as scott says like they're not fleet of foot you need to contain you know and bringing an ui line in you i don't see how you do that without taking bergen off the field and now you're looking at, at a, you know, you're taking a step down in size to gain ranginess, which I'm not saying we won't do it. I, you know, I would say that Fitz is going to light a fire under these guys and put all options on the table. Um, but I'd say the main thing is just the, whether it be shifts in the depth chart or guys just getting their head screwed on straight, particularly in the secondary on those tackling angles and that contain. If we can solve that over the next couple of weeks, I think that's going to be, 75% of the fixes right there. So I, I do want to talk about the offense. Yeah, let's um, go. You know, a lot of the issues were defensive. Like we said, Hunter's numbers were good. Like he had a good game. And like that was a huge concern of ours. Um, obviously, our running game did not do what we had hoped it would. Um, it's because what did you see? So, yeah, like I, I said it off the top, but like if you like Hunter was 70 percent completion for 275 yards, um, which actually to Louis, uh, Louis Vacare's credit, uh, you could really call that 283 because they counted the, the eight yards of um, intentional grounding penalty against him, which is interesting. I didn't know if that I don't know if that's typical um, or just a weird college rule, but um, that whole play was weird. But anyway. Yeah, anyways, we're not going to focus on that. Um, but, again, like if, 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 if we knew his stat line going in, and the most important thing is three passing touchdowns, zero interceptions, and I I could not see even like a – there were a couple of balls batted at the line, which can always be a little anxiety-inducing, but I didn't see any like moments where he threw it in a place where he sh- definitely shouldn't have thrown it, right? He he was fitting into some small windows there. Too. I, I was gonna say I was gonna say like I wouldn't throw it there, but I don't have pinpoint <laughs> accuracy in a cannon arm. <laughs> yeah. So like he 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 demonstrated. You know, if you if you look back at 2019 and all the the summer talk about Hunter and once he was named starter, right? Because I don't think anybody really expected that, but it was about he was really inaccurate. 
He had trouble making decisions. He took too many sacks um, and uh, threw a lot of picks. And he improved on all those things um, from, from, from my perspective. Um, you know, I, he had a couple sacks. The O-line missed a couple blocks. I think if anybody's, if anybody hasn't, they should definitely go read uh, the interview that Louis Vicar did with uh, Jared Thomas, former Northwestern center, because I thought that was just a spot on and very measured <laughs> uh, read of, of this game. Um, but anyways, I, I like, I, I wanted to say like, again, if you saw that stat line ahead of time and you knew what Hunter was going to do, you would have said, my God, we're going to win this game. And the, the running game was a problem. We'll get to that in a minute. There's, there are some elements of Hunter's game that need to be improved upon, but I think with the offense, it's more of, wow, this is a really exciting what we have in, in, in the car, all the, all the parts that we bolted together here. Uh, now we just got to tune this thing and, and see how it goes. I mean, we're not going to be a top 30 offense uh, in college football, let's be clear, but um, this should be a, a, a step change above what we saw uh, two years ago, and I think can even improve on last season. So I want to highlight four specific plays, uh, passing plays. Hunter's first two completions went for 40 yards. Uh, they were thrown at least 25 yards in the air, I, I, I believe. Um, but they were uh, tight deep throws to Stefan Robinson and Bryce Kurtz, who both really showed out as as great wide receiver talents that we have on this team. So um, the deep threat receivers and and the good QB, these are things nobody was sure that Northwestern had this year. Um, I want to point out too, those deep throws were both on third and long. How many times on the first or second drive, or even in the first half in his time as offensive coordinator, would you have seen a Northwestern quarterback attempt a deep pass on third and long under Mick McCall's tutelage? Um, um, I can count that on no hands. Exactly. Um, then on, was it the third drive? I can't, but Northwestern was backed up to the one yard line and first down Hunter drops back almost to the back of the end zone and then nails Robinson on a little curl for, for 15 yards and a first down. And, uh, which by the way, was an, an amazingly blocked play by the offensive line and tight ends. And I just want to emphasize those three to start with, like, the confidence, the confidence that Mike Bajakian showed in Hunter Johnson at the very start of this game, and then the performance that you got from Hunter throughout the course of the game, that is a sea change of quarterbacking strategy and application for Northwestern. I'm like, my takeaway from having watched the tape of this game over and over is as good as you think Hunter Johnson was in this game, he was better. Because several of these things, first of all, everything you said is absolutely true. And like the faith in his ability. But like, for example, he had a play where. This is the fourth play. This is the fourth play I wanted to mention. Go for it. Well, he, well, well, there, I don't even know if we're going to talk about the same, but I'm talking about stuff where things went wrong. Um, I'm talking like he had a play where the running back hit the ball out of his hands and he had to fall on it. He had another play where the ball was snapped past him. He had to pick it up. Right. He had a play where one of our guards, and they were kind of trick-or-treat against the pass. I will say, though, that they were, they, it, they, our guards individually had bad plays in pass protection and then rallied from those plays. And I think it was not a situation where they were getting beat again and again, but there was a play where uh, Josh Preeb let a guy get by him. Hunter 
threw a pass short because there were guy there was a guy in his face and couldn't catch the crossing guy. The next play Hunter had the ball on was at his own one yard line with his feet in the end zone. And Coach Jake is like, Yeah, we're throwing out of this. And Preeb was like, and Preeb was like, I am not letting a guy get past me this time. And Hunter dialed it up, right? He just had a guy in his face the last play. Now his feet are in his own end zone. We're like, we're throwing, and he steps up and and dials it up. Um, and you know, he there were again, there were little things and things that he needs to improve. But man, you talk about throwing, you talk about throwing under pressure. And, and a guy who had all this all this existential pressure on him coming into this game, I don't know how you do it better than he did it. The one the one other one the one other play I really wanted to highlight. This is the beginning of the second half. I think the second drive of the second half, and this was when um, he hit Malik Washington for roughly twenty yards over the okay, middle. It's on our Twitter if you want to see yeah, it. John did a great job of of spotting this play and calling out what Hunter does here, which is not just throw a a perfect laser of a ball to Malik Washington, but Malik turns around and is, is bracketed by coverage and Hunter leads him out of it. Like like Malik turns and sets his feet to catch the ball and Hunter leads him out of it to get him into open space. It's amazing. Pick up more yards after the catch. He throws him open at 19 yards. It's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was spectacular. And it just like, we, we said it in 2019, dude is a Ferrari. And still learning to drive. Like you could tell when this game started, he had nerves. He was not comfortable. Um, but I think I thought he went, he got better through the course of the game. Um, certainly in terms of his completion percentage, uh, two thirds of his, of his um, incompletions were in the first half. Now he did moderate his depth of target in the second half and his uh, yards per attempt definitely decreased, but, I mean, you saw that one drive, right? He hit 11 in a row or 12 in a row um, to lead him to the touchdown. You know, I, I think I think this offense has some work to do with regard to um, that inter- that intermediate strike and not, you know, it, it can't be all deep or all short, right? Um, now, that being said, I did, I did some deep digging here, and I want to get into the wide receiver core. Cause so, so I mentioned it before. Ro- Robinson and Kurtz were phenomenal. Um they did. Uh, they did really well. Even when you factor in incompletions targeted their way, you know they were close to double digits uh, yards yards per yards per attempt or yards per target. Uh, Washington and Mangieri were the next most targeted players, um, uh, and they they did all right. I think they had they had a couple of drops and some more incompletions there, but um, you know you can you can see the diversity right in these in these skill sets. Uh, we talked about it beforehand with the tight ends. You were going to see all three of them. Pew caught two touchdowns, for God's sake. Yeah, um, seriously. What what a return to the field for him after you know struggling with injuries for most of his, most of his career. Speaking of injuries, Mangieri went down. Hopefully, he will be back. But uh, we did even we did see um, Marshall Lang on the field as well. Um, I think where where Hunter struggled in the passing game specifically was targeting the running backs, and. I say this for a couple reasons. First of all, I mean, obviously running backs are a checkdown option, but the yards per attempt to the running backs was below four. It was real rough. And, you know, there were a couple of times guys fell down. There were a couple, you know, a couple of times guys got tackled. I, John, your comment watching the tape is that, you know, Bajakian likes to run a lot, a lot of screens. Um, he, he did in this game anyway. Yeah. 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 And it, it didn't, the screen game didn't work well. And, and it's either not a great 
fit for Hunter or he was too worried about like overthrowing or it, it, it also it also seemed like Michigan State sniffed every screen we ran. Yeah. Like they they, had, they clocked they had, it real quick and dropped had, and dropped back. They had pretty good reads, but it's like it's that thing with screens where it's like ultimately the success of a screen is like you gotta get that ball to the back in the shortest line. The shortest distance between two points as fast as possible is how you, how fast you've got to get that ball. And and yeah, Hunter has a tendency with the pressure in his face, at least in this game, to throw a high looping ball off his back foot to the back. And if that ball is, is taking its time getting there, that the play's already dead. Um, so, yeah. but again, like uh, that's, that's, as Gus said, like it's, it's quibbling about finer points. Like, it, it is, and and I guess I say this because when you when you break down the completion percentage, it's it's by far the worst when targeting the running backs. Um, now the the other interesting thing that that came up is is you know the run game. So I think you know I think huh, everything we can take away from this game again against what what appeared to be a, a revitalized Michigan State defense, I'll call it that. I'm, I'm not going to say that they're going to go win the East or anything, but certainly not uh, a revitalized Michigan State defense that was you know really hungry and making a lot of plays. Um, Northwestern's passing offense looked good. And especially so in a case where the run wasn't doing, wasn't doing much and we were behind. So they knew we were going to be throwing more times than not. But that being said, let's talk about the running game. And I think this is where everybody was worried come in, you know, with, with uh, Porter being injured. You've got, you know, Evan Hall, a guy that, that, played sparingly last year and flashed some speed. You've got Tyus, brand new freshman. You've got Claire transferring from, from the Mac big question marks and they didn't look great. Hall, Hall had a pretty good game. All, all, all things being said, even, you know, even averaging 4.5 yards per carry. And, and he, he t- he'd been hurt going into the game, I, which we didn't know yeah, until yeah, after true. the fact. I just want to say, because I feel like I personally soft sold Evan Hall post the Cam Porter injury. Evan Hall was great in this game. Like, and, and Evan Hall showed every bit, especially if he wasn't at 100%. Like, that dude is, whether he's our number one or not, like, he's going to be a good back for Northwestern. Like, they, like we've, like, again, I we can talk about the rotation, but I just want to say personally, like, I've, I sold Evan Hall short because he showed out in this game. Um, and, and I think he'll, he'll be a big piece going forward. Well, it sounds like um, he might be separating himself in terms of being like the true the true starter and not just you know starter in name in, in name only. So we'll we'll see how we'll see how we go there. Um, th- there's a funny uh, inside joke, at least I have in my head with John. Maybe he doesn't, but <laughs> we had different perspectives on on him as a recruit as well. But um, I'll le- I'll leave that aside. Anyways, what was clear though when you when you look back at what Northwestern tried to do from a run perspective, we didn't we didn't try to attack Michigan state and run downhill. It was not the, the running game we brought to bear. It was, I mean, that, that's a lot of what we did with Cam Porter at the end of last season. Um, it was not what we did in this game. And, and maybe it's because, you know, there's, there's nobody on the roster that has the size and power, the combined skill set that, that Porter does. And that's, and that's fine. So we got to do something different. And so what that meant is much more of a read option game, much more technical blocking assignments for the for the offensive line who have been you know taking a lot of flack and I think somewhat unfairly um the the biggest problem that Hunter had is he was very hesitant to run the ball 
uh, off the read option in this game, and especially so when the right decision would have been for him to run the ball. Michigan State was crashing on the running back hard, kind of daring Hunter to run, and he and he didn't do it much. And if we're going to continue running this scheme, we've like it does it doesn't work if the if the quarterback never takes like pulls the ball and runs. Um, now. You know, there, there could be RPO concepts uh, built off of the same thing where it's it's not a pull the ball and run, it's a pull the ball and throw. That would be fine, but we got to pull the ball more because the running backs were kind of hung out to dry and didn't have very, very, you know, many options uh, to go on. Right. And first of all, and you can immediately juxtapose it with like Michigan State, who did use Thorne to affect running yes. the ball. And um, it's it's only, only a only a couple times. I mean, you only had five yeah, carries, right? Right, no, a, a couple lot, times. But you, just, but it was, you just need to do it once or twice successfully, just and to keep them honest. Difference. Exactly, because Michigan State treated every read option as a straight handoff, and just just to know, Michi- so Michigan State's game plan was good because I think a lot of it was baked into what they thought Hunter would do in certain situations. Just know, like if. If you ever want to know if Hunter Johnson can beat a defense to the end zone from anywhere on the field, if you just want to find out, all you have to do is run an RPO concept uh, and then just have him run the ball. Have him not give the ball to the running back, turn and look at the wide receiver, and then just run. Because (laughs) in this game, weren't no one looking at Hunter Johnson on those plays. And... But I think one of the other big things, and this is something that we didn't know because we didn't know, for example, that we, I mean, we saw the depth chart, but we didn't know that we weren't going to get, you know, a Wayne Dennis in this game, right? Um, and we didn't know that, I mean, GHP played very sparingly. I, he, he was on the field. I don't think he ever uh, even got yeah, targeted. On the field a couple times, didn't get targeted, but it was very clear, right, that, um, it's Bryce, Stefan, and Malik are the wideouts we want to be dancing with. And if that's the group, and it's an awesome group to throw with, but I think to quote Treebeard in Lord of the Rings, but then again, you are very small. <laughs> <laughs> and those are not large dudes, the three of them. And a credit to Bradley Locker and his his big, you know, rundown of of Stefan Robinson's willingness to block, but it's not three Rashad Lawrence's out there. Let's just put it that way. And you are not going to be able to run a lot of traditional running concepts with three wideouts on the field who are those three guys because you're just not going to get value added from a run blocking perspective. So you run a lot of misdirection. You run read option. You run, you use Malik as an effective triple option back, and you try to run a lot of those concepts. We ran a lot of those concepts. Michigan State wasn't buying any of it. They were like, it will all go to the back. That's all we're going with here. And they were right. But the only reason they were right is because Scuzz said, like Scuzz said, Hunter did not want to to keep the ball and did not want to take off. And I think you saw even in passing situations, he is not a willing runner right now. And if we're going to unlock the running out of that set, which is clearly the set we want to use the most, he's going to have to start running the ball more. And that's the missing piece. And again, it's like a lot of you saying like, yeah, but what about the line? The line was not perfect, but they were good enough. Michigan State was selling out on those plays, on the back, on the run. And the only set that we ran 
quote-unquote traditional run plays out of was when we swapped Malik out for Trey Pugh, which we did a lot in this game. And we like the double tape, especially if we're throwing out of it, but that's the only time you're going to see, you know, toss sweeps, standard handoffs, things like that. And that's fine. Um, And I think you're going to see a lot of both of those sets. They're clearly the two sets that we want to run. And if we're throwing a fair amount to the tight ends, which we had success with, especially later in the game, that set works too. Um, And I think you're going to see more of of those on the balance. It's just, if we're going to have success running the ball out of our primary set with the single tight end, who's either going to be Charlie Mangieri or Marshall Lang, with those three slight of build wideouts out there, it's going to have to be, um, you know, a lot of stuff that involves Hunter. And a lot of times Hunter's going to be the unmarked man and he's going to have to take off and get some yards. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens when we play a, a, like a somewhat less physically imposing defensive line. Um, like this weekend? Well, I, I mean, whatever this weekend, but like I'm thinking Duke, right? So like Michigan State's bringing out a number of 300-plus defensive tackles. Um, their linebackers are pretty big. Like, like Duke's going to be a little bit smaller, and I – like we saw from this O line, like yes, a couple of parts have been changed, but they can run downhill on people. And I, I was surprised we didn't try to push Michigan State around more in this game. Maybe, maybe we just didn't think we had to have to do it. Um, maybe we didn't think you know it was the right personnel. And you know, maybe none of these guys are. I, I know Evan Hull's not great after contact, right? He's not an auto porter. Uh, I, I always do that. Not a cam porter. Um, you know, Tyrell Sutton pinball machine, right? So, like. It'll just be interesting to see how we go, but I do think, you know, there were a couple times, John, you mentioned it, a couple times the offensive line was a little bit inconsistent, but they generally addressed their mistakes. You, you saw Jared Thomas refer to that as well. I think, um, like I said, I, th- I thought Hunter played great, got better as the game went on, even though the conditions were more difficult. And when you when you line up just the stupid miscues, and this is where, you know, when you step back, we talked a lot about turnovers going into this game in Michigan State. If Northwestern turns it over a ton, we're, like, we're going to be bad. Well, we didn't turn it o- turn it over, but we missed two field goals. Um, we had a catastrophic misprotection on a fourth and seven that led to a sack. The bad snap, we had a really bad holding penalty that killed the drive. Like, that's a lot of potential points that we left on the field. And not, like, I, I still think most of those things go right and you don't change anything on the defense. We're still, you know, probably coming up a little bit short but um it, it it doesn't take a lot to look at this and say you know northwestern's not going to be perfect every single game right but let's say two less mistakes on defense and three less mistakes on offense and it's a much closer affair if not one that northwestern has a real shot of winning so i, I do i do want to move on um yeah know, we're running yeah. a little bit long john one last point before we get no i was just saying like in the interest of of moving on and just talking about like the 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 fixes, right? It's like on one hand, right? Like Scott's saying, you can list a lot of fixes. Like corners have to contain better, safeties have to take better angles, guys have to wrap up better, um, offensive linemen have to be more consistent, especially in pass blocking. Hunter's got to be willing to, you know, set his feet on screen passes and keep the ball on running plays more. So on one hand, yeah, I just listed a bunch of stuff. On the other hand, that's all correctable. This was not a game of guys getting blown off the ball. This was not a game of guys of offensive linemen getting run over the top of. Like it just wasn't. 
Northwestern was not talent deficient in this game. It was execution. It's all fixable. There's a laundry list of it, and it's serious, and it's got to get done. But again, it's like we did not get out-talented by Michigan State. We just got to fix a bunch of stuff, and let's get it fixed and move forward. Yeah, there's there's one other thing that's got to be said again. I know you want to move on, Sammy, but like we got out-coached big time. You heard John talking about like the chess match on defense. We got out-coached big time and i think even like the 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 running game stuff where michigan state was like look we dare you to to keep the ball hunter or we dare you to do this other thing and like this is the thing that resonates most with me and if like i feel like and i'm being like halfway sarcastic here but like if 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 we messed anything up in our in our previews and our confidence going into this year it's that we forgot that this season started in or that we forgot that last season started in october and like Northwestern's coaches like there's so many examples where we've just garbled it um early on and I don't know it's it's hard it's hard it's hard to to fathom but I I can't help but looking at the running game the quarterback situation the comps we've made to Kafka in the past like this feels very 2009 to me ironically that was Hankowitz's second season with the Cats the third game that year we played Towson and then like a, a real barn burner against Eastern Michigan that we won 27-24 the third game was that that just horrendous 34-37 loss at Syracuse this season feels like that season to me in this very very small tiny window that we've got thus far and if that means that we got to throw a lot and pass to set up the run from an offensive standpoint like I'm, I'm i'm okay with that so you know this weekend obviously it's indiana state uh i don't want to spend much time on them they beat eastern illinois last weekend okay congratulations their quarterback um anthony thompson was 13 of 23 for 87 yards uh their leading runner uh, 19 carries for 73 yards and a touchdown not, not a lot to dig into here. I mean, really, this should be an opportunity to fix the issues that we saw against Michigan State. Um, and, I mean, we should not take Indiana State lightly because, you know, I remember the last, you know, state school that came in, uh, a, that Illinois State game, um, which I'm trying very, very hard to forget. Uh, but you know, can we lose this game? We shouldn't. Um, you know, I, I struggle, man, we shouldn't, we shouldn't shouldn't. lose this game. Let's just put like, we've seen horrible things happen. So I'm just gonna say we shouldn't lose this game. I will say they've got a senior quarterback who's really smart. Um, he's physically limited. They've got a standout receiver in Dante Hendricks who like, like Brandon Joseph and AJ Hampton and Cam Mitchell and others can cover this guy. Like, I, like, I, I don't think that this is going to be a situation where like, there's an uncoverable receiver who goes for 250 yards against Northwestern. They didn't have much on the running side of the ledger when I looked at them, but, but if we don't tackle like, yes, we can lose this game. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I'm, I, again, it's like, right. I, I don't want to jinx it because I'm like, I, we we're all snake bit by things in the past. I expect us to, to be, you know, comfortably in the driver's seat in this game. I, you know, in, for me, it's like, I guess I have two big things on, on the defensive side of the ball in the secondary. I think, you know, I expect that there are guys who are 
have been kind of leapt from a depth chart perspective back there. And these are guys that we know and are very familiar with. And I think on and, one and that we've seen perform well, and we That's and an that we right and that we've seen have success before. And so it's it's a weird situation where it's like a those guys may have kind of lost spots and I want us to have the best starting road, the best starters that give us the best chance for success. I also want these guys who again have had great moments in the past to get the reps throughout the non-con starting in the Indiana state game, just to correct their issues because we're going to need these guys, whether they start or not, they are going to be really important players for us. So uh, that's the thing. And then come on, whether it be Khaled, whether it be Bryce, someone take the bull by the horns and capital W win that middle linebacker job. You can start doing it in the Indiana State game. Someone show out and have a big-ass game and win that job. Um, you know, that's that's what I want to see. I want to see that happen as quickly as possible. For, for me, this, this weekend's game is all about discipline. We, we can't see a late hit out of bounds that extends a drive. We can't see... Um, the missed assignments. We we can't see the poor tackling. We can't see the over aggressiveness. Um, we we the, the teams Northwestern last year. This is you know something I said at the end of our, our of our preview podcast, right? Like they had this sense of purpose and focus that persisted the entire season. And you know one negative way you could paint this Northwestern team this year is you know, they lost a lot of last year's clear leaders. They got to find the voices in the locker room. They're gonna hold their their fellow players accountable for being disciplined and and executing and if we see better decision making that should make us all feel a lot better about the duke game the scary ass thing about the duke game i mentioned that kenneth walker had the most yards after contact last week well mateo durant duke's running back was number two and he wasn't too far behind now granted they played like I forget. I forget whom. Not somebody particularly. Charlotte impressive. and they lost. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. Like Duke's horrible, but um, like if like if we don't if we don't figure out our discipline and our assignments on defense uh, before that Duke game, that Duke game is going to be a long like uh, years off of our life type experience, and it shouldn't have to be. I I will say just in interest of going where I think you probably want to go here in a second, Sammy. It does bear mention that as rough of a game as Northwestern had, I can name three teams just in the West who are in at least as bad of a situation, if not a worse situation. And yeah. I can probably name more. <laughs> so, you know, real quick, let's run through um, the the rest of the week one games. Uh, you know, they're mostly in conference action. There are a few out of conference games. Um you know, Ohio State goes up to Minneapolis, beats Minnesota 45-31. Um, C.J. Stroud looked bad in the first half, looked really, really good in the second half. But the big takeaway, uh, Mo Ibrahim out for the season with a lower leg injury. That That's just gutting it's, for Minnesota. It's just brutal. It's, it's horrible. It, it's, it's horrible because he was going to have a really good year. He was having a really good game against Ohio State. And... We've talked about it. That Minnesota offensive line is awesome. He was going to put up outstandingly massive numbers. Um, he's going to get drafted regardless. You know, you hope that this doesn't hurt his stock too much. Obviously, he's going to have time to recover and then, uh, you know, perform on pro days, a combine, etc. But um, it was it was going to be a special season uh, for Ibrahim, and it's just it's or Ibrahim, 
I always yeah, say it wrong. Yeah. That I yeah, well, I I've that the the media doesn't know how to do it either. So <laughs> yeah, it's like I watch a game and I change how I pronounce it, and then I'm like, damn it, that was wrong. Anyways, it was going to be a special year. It sucks. They were they were running him so heavily in that game, and it, like you almost felt like they were not tempting fate, but like, gosh, if he gets this kind of run all season, he's gonna is he going to last the season? And um it's just, it's really, it's sad, frankly. And, it's a, it's and, a loss for the whole big team. Right, and that's the thing. It's like, unequivocally, this is a positive development for Northwestern relative to the West. But it's like, you don't want it to happen like this. Like, he's, like, he might be the best player in the conference and is an awesome, just an awesome bell cow for the whole big 10. And you don't want to see that happen. Um, right. And, but I mean, it's, it leaves Michigan State. I mean, again, it's like, you think Cam Porter that was really rough for us. I mean, Ibrahim is, he is that team and it's absolutely crushing for them. Uh, Saturday, um, one of the, one of the multiple big games of the, of the Saturday, Penn state goes up to Madison, knocks off Wisconsin 16 to 10 in an ugly game. I mean, like, was that interesting? That was, (sighs) I, I, I I mean, hard to watch. It's almost scuzz. It's almost like you talked in the Wisconsin preview about how Wisconsin would have trouble against teams that couldn't just run over the top of. <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, look, Danny Davis is a very is a good wide receiver, no doubt about it. Um, but he is not the type of receiver that can beat that kind of defense. And when you've got a squirrely QB uh, with accuracy issues in Graham Mertz, who likes to force the ball and threw what two picks or was it three? Um, I realized one of them was just like a hail Mary at the very end of the game, but um, yeah, their offense looked bad. Now granted that Penn state D is so good. So that's, that's kind of what, what is hard, but like, like when teams could slow down Wisconsin's running game, which by the way, did not look, did not cover itself in glory either. Um, Again, it's a really good defense they're playing. You know, it, 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 you get a real chicken or the egg situation coming out of that type of type of matchup. But, um, but yeah, Wisconsin's. I mean, they don't they don't the, lose at home. And they so and to like and again, it's like to all the issues. You know, again, all the issues we had, the things where you're like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? Scott Nelson is one of Wisconsin's linchpins, and he let Penn State's receivers get over the top of him three times in crushing fashion and that is uncharacteristic and that is where Penn State got their points and it's like they're you know what what could what can Wisconsin do in a situation like that be like dude we trust you you got to get better unscrew this so we can go forward (laughs) it's like so we ain't the only ones dealing with these issues folks um Iowa 34 Indiana 6 but like but what's crazy is like Two pick sixes for Iowa. Yep. Their offense did not look that good. I I couldn't watch this game because I was in Texas and, and where I was there was no uh, there was no Big Ten network. But um, but like box score surfing like and 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 reading re- like recaps and stuff like Spencer Petras looked bad. Um, you know Goodson ran the ball fine, but wasn't you know, amazing. Well, um, he had one long run. Um, yeah. yeah, he had a 56 yard touchdown on the day, 19 carries for 99 yards. Take away the 56 yeah. average uh, at best. Yeah. Not great. Um, I, I mean, Iowa turned in a good defensive performance and Indiana handed them a nightmare game. 
and that yeah, was Yeah, Pen- Penix was Penix was horrible. Yeah. Yep. Horrible. 3 picks, no touchdowns. He three was picks, ben- two picks I mean, he he was benched at the you know, and this is a guy who presumptively is theoretically the best quarterback in the conference and and part of that was just to keep him from getting hurt um cuz the game was long since decided and he has an injury history, but it was a rough a rough game. And, but I mean, credit where credit is due, right? Like Iowa showed their warts in that game, but there's you're a fool to argue that Iowa ain't the best looking team in the West right now. Like yeah. there's there ain't no one close to them. Well, they've they've done the best job plugging their holes. You know, they're I, I you know t- teams that they um you know when they're not scoring multiple touchdowns on defense and they're against teams that can maybe grind them a little bit more and they need to make a play on offense. I I, I still don't know where they go um with their with their with their targets and their quarterback situation, but um, but they're I mean, but they're they've definitely done the best um in terms of filling their holes and uh bringing forward a lot of talent to this year, and you know they're in the driver's seat for the West. We'll see what happens. Uh, Michigan lays it to Western Michigan, forty-seven to fourteen. Don't really have much to say about that one. Uh, I have something to okay. say, and that is that they lost Ronnie Bell. Yes, for the rest of no, the that's year. that's right, that's right. I'm... Their absolute best running back. Um, they also started Cade McNamara. Now, I had a they they they, they played um, JJ McCarthy plenty in this game. Um, and so, and so maybe this is like a easing him into it kind of thing, but man, if it's Cade McNamara with like even less in the in the in the target set um, than they started the year with, oof, they like they are going to run into a wall at some point, and it's going to be really interesting what happens there. Uh, Rutgers sixty-one, Temple fourteen. Hey, I mean, Temple is clearly not a good football team, but you know. It's not like Rutgers was bad in this game. Like, you know, to Scuzz's point, Scuzz has said many things about Rutgers' potential, you know, to have something on offense. So, um, you know, again, like, we'll we'll find out when they play a real team. But they are the first team we play when we resume Big Ten play. So we're we're definitely, you know, they they certainly did nothing to dissuade us they can score points. Who knows what the hell that meant against Temple. Thank God they still don't have Artur Sikowski. (laughs) Uh, Nebraska beat Fordham 52 to seven, but that game was much closer than it should have been at, in the first half. And, you know, Nebraska turned it on in the second half, but, uh, yeah, like what Nebraska fans didn't walk out of the game feeling less anti Scott Frost. Let's put it that way. Well, especially, play, especially, well, so, so they play Buffalo this upcoming week. Um, Buffalo last weekend played Wagner and beat them. 69 to 7 and and let me tell you it could have been 80 to nothing. Um I I I know somebody with with some connections to that team and I so I was watching but um Wagner and Fordham play in the same conference. Yeah. Exactly. Like and let's just put it this way, given that the team that uh, beat Nebraska last weekend didn't exactly look great against another smaller team. Like it doesn't exactly bode well for Nebraska's chances. We'll get there. And I, I've got, you know, when we're talking about this week's game, I've got a, a fun little note on that Nebraska Buffalo game. Uh, Maryland beat West Virginia 30 to 24 fun game. You know, that, it's a quality, it's a quality win for them. And they got Talia had a pretty good game, didn't he? Yeah. 26 to 36 for three thirty-two and three touchdowns. Yeah. Solid game for uh, for Talia. Uh, Purdue beat Oregon State thirty to twenty one. I I can't say I watched any of this game, 
but uh, Purdue got it done. Um, got to lead. Sounds like Oregon State kind of made a, a move late, but you know Purdue was able to answer. Um, Jack Plummer, twenty-nine to forty-one for three thirteen and two touchdowns. Uh, Xander Horvath, twenty-one carries, eighty-one yards and a touchdown. David Bell is David Bell. Eight catches, one thirty-four. McConnell uh, O'Connell didn't play. Um, O'Connell did not play. It was Jack Plummer the entire way. Plummer all the way. Yeah. And all again, right. we said, you know, Purdue had to win this one. That's the worst team in the Pac-12, but they, they got it done. Uh, and finally, yeah. <laughs> uh, the shine came off the Brett Bielema shine train really quickly as <laughs> UTSA goes into Champaign and knocks off Illinois 37 to 30. John said it three weeks ago. UTSA they, is really good. Look out. They um, were up. I mean, they were up most of the game too. UTSA was. Um, they 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 were pretty clearly the better team. Classic letdown spot. Um, and I will say for all for all of the people joking about um, the safety against you know in the Nebraska Illinois game and and that like the score being two nothing and that being you know the most Big Ten thing ever. No, using losing to UTSA the next week is the most Big Ten <laughs> thing ever. Right. The big, the big, I would say for most Nebraska fans, their big takeaway from the Fordham win is that Illinois lost to UTSA. I think their Scott Frost seat did not get any cooler coming out of this weekend. Uh, some all, some awesome other games in week one. Um, just what jumped out at you real quick out, you know, nationally. Georgia's NFL defense. Yeah. Uh, whoa, Nelly. Um, I mean, again, I you know Clemson had an absolutely horrible game. No one produced much offense in that game, but I mean, Georgia's oh. defense—if they can stone that offense, they can stone anyone. No offensive touchdowns that whole game. The, the only touchdown came defensively for Georgia. So, uh, at the risk of um, opening a wound, um, gotta shout out Zay Bowser. Yeah, I'm not, yes. there's no wound. Yeah, no wound. Yeah. No yeah, no good, good for him. Good, good on. That's yeah, exactly. awesome. If if you didn't if if you haven't been paying attention, Isaiah Bowser transferred to, to Central Florida. He was named the starter for Central Florida, and he was a machine. Yep. On Thursday night against Boise State, was that Thursday night? Yep. I think it was. Yes. Yeah. Um. What? A hundred, hundred and fifty, or was it hundred, hundred, hundred seventy yards? Hundred and seventy yards. Um. Just. Bowling people over, churning through through guys like the scheme there is such a perfect setup for him. Like, and, and he seems to be healthy, and he's finally and he's healthy, healthy. Finally, he can you cut saw speed. Yep. Yes, you saw what we saw from him as a freshman that we haven't seen for two years, and it just it just makes you happy. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. He's he's just earned it. You saw him in the post game press conference, just so happy, talking about the adversity he's had to battle through to get to this point. It's just fantastic. Just keep it going. Uh, so this week, round the Big Ten, uh, Illinois travels to Virginia. Virginia, ten point favorite. Wow, really? Yeah. Is Virginia any good? Uh, I don't know anything about Virginia. I, I don't know anything about them either. They they won last week. They are at home, and they their home record last year was very good. So that's yeah, that's, that's my true. They are they are they are good at home, aren't they? They beat both William and Mary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two for the price uh, of one. Seems fair. Um, We've got Oregon at Ohio State. This is I wish this is I wish we would have seen a less anemic offensive effort from Oregon coming into this game. Anthony Brown is the guy. He's the guy you're looking at to be like this is the dude. Like 
that if, if Oregon's going to knock off the Buckeyes, it'll be on Anthony Brown's back. He only threw for 172 against Fresno, and they only won by seven, so that doesn't exactly help. Um, I mean, they, they were all run. I mean, they just did right. nothing but run the ball against Fresno. That will not work against Ohio State. They're nope. going to need to throw. Um, but, I mean, Brown is capable. They just need to trust him and let him throw. You can throw against Ohio State. That's plainly evident. Nothing from last season changed. They they can be thrown upon with gusto. Um, the, you just got to do it. The problem, the problem is that there's like five teams in the country, maybe seven, that have the secondary to cover to to even give their teams a sure. chance of throwing on Ohio State more than Ohio State's going to throw on you because Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are incandescent. Oh yeah, they were they were so good, and I mean like Stroud was thrown to wide open NFL receivers, and that's where his numbers came from. Like if anything, Stroud had some seriously shaky moments. Um, the, but the, first half two, he was bad. Were a bunch of, second half he was amazing. Well, there were a bunch of close misses with those guys, right? And then in the second half, it's like the the chemistry or the timing or the whatever connected, and they were unstoppable. Yeah, and those two, and it wasn't just wide open dudes they were running through tackles and over people i mean those two guys were uncoverable oh, yeah. and untackleable yeah they're they're gods and i doubt that oregon's got the guys that can stay with them so yeah nope. yeah no uh, but i mean but i mean if you're going to beat him you're going to beat him in a shootout and and anthony brown's yeah. going to be the first the first quarterback to with with potentially the weapons to take a crack at it ohio state's a 14 and a half point favorite well, uh, yeah. I, I i i think you're selling what minnesota showed in the first you know, two thirds of that game a little short in that. I I mean um, I I I thought the guys were open. They just needed to hit those guys a little bit more. That was kind of my takeaway. Yeah, well, and the thing like Tanner Morgan with uh, Dylan Wright, the the awesome transfer from Texas A and M that I want no part of. Um, having Chris Hotman Bell injured on the sideline, like Minnesota painted painted the picture right. Um, I don't know that Oregon's got as much offensive talent as, as the Gophers, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Michigan state hosting Youngstown state. Okay, great. Blah. Cool. Good please for that. Let down, let down game. <laughs> no, please, please. No. Uh, Minnesota at home versus Miami, Ohio. The Gophers a 20 point favorite. Miami of Ohio is horrible. Yeah. Miami of Ohio is really bad. Cincinnati still has them behind the woodshed. I think so now <laughs> they're there. Yeah. I, I, even though even sans Ibrahim, they're, they've they've got the ponies to handle that. Uh, Rutgers going to Syracuse. Rutgers a two point favorite in the Carrier Dome. Our eyes will be on this game. This is a a bona fide indicator. Um, if, yeah, this is pretty interesting. If, right here. if Rutgers did what they did to Temple to Syracuse, then you know for us alarm bells are going to start ringing a little bit. Well, but but we're going to see. Well, and if that happens, right, like. You've already seen Penn State notch a massive win. We just talked about Ohio State. Michigan State, again, looks revitalized and quite competent after being incompetent most of last year. Um, Maryland has a really talented quarterback and played great against West Virginia. Um, I mean, like, ironically, at the stage you're talking about, you're talking about Indiana and Michigan as like the two teams that haven't got it figured out, and that's kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, Purdue going to UConn. Purdue is a 33 and a half point favorite. Congrats on your free win, Purdue. (laughs) UConn UConn is 
where would they rank in the FCS right they, now? They, they might lost, as well. They, they lost the Holy Cross last week. To um, call to call UConn a tire fire is just and insulting and Randy, to tire fires everywhere. And Randy they might, S- be, they might they might get a better game scheduling Bishop Syracuse. Yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> Bishop, uh, Bishop Sycamore. Sycamore. Bishop Sycamore. Sycamore thank yeah. you. The, uh, I can't even remember the name of the fake school. The uh, and Randy Etzel stepped down today, so they are. Well, no, Randy better. Etzel said he was going to retire at the end of the year, and then UConn was like, "Don't let the door hit your ass on the way out." Bye. Yeah, they just, like, just yeah, go. You, just just get out of here. Yeah, so dream job, guys. Yeah, dream that's, job. That's probably that's your worst team in football, generally speaking, right now. So Purdue, congrats. Uh, Ball State at Penn State. Uh, Penn State a twenty-two and a half point favorite. Enjoy the frosting. Yep, doesn't seem like enough. Buffalo at Nebraska. Oh, <laughs> okay, okay. The line opened Nebraska by eleven. It has since gone to Nebraska by thirteen and a half. Wow, that is. I mean, like, can can we look at and see g- the geographic distribution of these bets? I'm very curious. No, but the like, money the money line for Buffalo winning this game is plus four thirty five, all the way up to like plus four fifty. That's I'd never. I'd never tell you what to do with your money, listeners. I would never. <laughs> four and a half so to I, one. I I watched again. I watched. Buffalo play Wagner. Um, watched most of the most of the first half and uh, was flipping back and forth in the second between that and the Ohio State game. Buffalo's defensive line is legit, not Mac legit, legit. Yeah, they've they've got an awesome coach. They've got a bunch of dudes on that in on that team. They've been putting guys in the NFL for years and. Um, they are coming to Lincoln to play. Maybe it doesn't go well for them. Um, I think it does, though. Mac, Mac it's going to be really interesting. Mac teams, uh, NIU, have gone into Lincoln and got wins. So yep. it's not unprecedented. If yep. that happens, the Frost Fire Watch is, is a day-by-day situation. So yeah, I, we're, we're going to see. They, do they fire him before Oklahoma? Or do they just say, this this season's done, just take the L's, Frost, yeah. and we'll... we'll... I, I mean, if you if you if you don't fire him, doesn't it put an entire cloud over this Oklahoma game, which is supposed to be such like a celebration of the rivalry and everything? Like, if you fire him, you at least give yourself a chance to like change the narrative. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, this this is where Nebraska is right now. So that that line seems like a lot of wishful thinking, but we'll Does, see if the Huskers can hit it. I mean, if Nebraska's got some booster who's willing to shell out twenty million dollars uh, to buy him out. Yeah. That that's his buyout right now. Warren Buffett. Iowa at Iowa State. Iowa State, a four and a half point favorite. That is very interesting. I mean, Iowa State Iowa struggled State. with Northern yeah. Iowa. I mean, but Iowa always struggles with Northern Iowa. Well, Iowa like, State these, struggled with them. I know, but I, I it's know, like, but like those three these, teams these three always teams, struggle with each yeah, other, right? Yes. Yes, there's so much intimate knowledge, and I'm sure a bunch of guys from high school that know each other and are geared up for the game, right? Like, but this is, like, this is the apocalypse. It, like Iowa and Iowa State, it's a top ten matchup in in this, you know, game days there. Game days going to Ames. Game, game day is going to Iowa. Like, um, 
this is I, I forget the stat I saw this is like the 67th meeting or something it's the first time they're both top 10 um it's just it's just it's kind of awesome like I don't have a lot of love for the state of Iowa but this is just kind of awesome so more power to them yeah uh, and go get them Iowa State uh with Wisconsin a 26 point favorite at home to Eastern Michigan cool whatever yep Yep, I mean, there again, there are like eight teams on Wisconsin's schedule. They're going to beat like 40 to nothing, and this is one of them. It's not about those games. Indiana tries to lick its wounds at home against Idaho. Shouldn't be a problem. With Cincinnati the week after, right? So yep. they got to they gotta get, it, get it together. Lick those wounds. Make sure Penix is, is right after that uh, game he had against Iowa. Maryland at home against Howard. Should be a cakewalk. And then, yeah. and then uh, at night, Michigan hosting Washington. You, you didn't make your Howard joke. You know yeah, what? I, 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 I said I was going to not. I already made that joke with William and Mary. I'm not making the I Howard joke. Sure you did. <laughs> I, so, I had the so, opportunity last time. I said I wasn't going to do it. I'm not doing it. My, my terrible Howard joke is done. So, it has been buried. Fair enough. So the Michigan-Washington game looked a lot harder of a hill to climb for Michigan before Washington lost to an FCS team to open their season. How talk 13, about looking 13 ahead. to seven. Yep. You lose to Montana. Yep. I mean, now, I mean, I, there, there's not a, there's not a transitive property thing. I want to see more than Montana having transitive property over Michigan. So please let that happen. Um, go ahead, go ahead, Washington, like get it together. But, yeah, clearly, obviously, like they have major issues right now that could give Michigan the break they need. I mean, Washington's QB threw three picks. Um, Montana didn't turn the ball over at all. Uh, Montana won this game going two of thirteen on third down. Yeah, <laughs> like this was this was you know this was rough and it was ugly. Washington couldn't run the ball. There's certainly you know, I get, you can't overreact to first week. Um, and I, th- I think this is going to be a, I think you're going to get a different Washington team. Um, but I would have thought Washington was, you know, easily, easily is the wrong term. I would have thought Washington would have been a heads and shoulders favorite above, you know, whatever this Michigan team is. And now like, maybe that's not true anymore, especially cause it's in the big house. Um, just sort of scanning up and down the, the schedule nationally, not a ton really that jumps out at you. Uh, might keep an eye on the Texas A&M at Colorado game, even though that's happening at, uh, in Denver at the Broncos stadium. Um, A&M's good and Colorado struggled with Northern Colorado. Yeah, there's not, there's not much, uh, outside of the Iowa, Iowa state, um, Michigan Washington game this week. I mean, like USC Stanford, but Stanford, Stanford got housed yeah. by Kansas State. Stanford looked bad. Um, Miami Appalachian State. Maybe I don't know, App State's supposed to be pretty good. Miami, you know, I like licking their wounds. Texas at Arkansas. Um, my kids learned hook'em horns over the weekend, uh, which is kind of like cute and entertaining, but also like makes me sad. Um, okay, I carry a lot of college football guilt with me. Colorado State and Vanderbilt. Two teams that are just god. Which one's going to shit the bed more? <laughs> no, no, no idea. I, I will say. Well, are uh, they playing at altitude or not? Uh, they are playing. Um, 
they're playing at altitude. They're in Fort Collins. Oh, Colorado State. Vanderbilt lost last week to Eastern Tennessee State or ETSU. Is that Eastern Tennessee State? Yeah, East Tennessee State. Oh, wow. This game is kicking off um, at 10 p.m. Eastern. Yes. Wow. At altitude. Yes. I will. Um, oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah. Colorado State is a touchdown favorite. Interesting. And they, I, they lost to South Dakota State 42-23. The only, yeah. the only game, other game that I would highlight, I lived in Greensboro, North Carolina for three and a half years in my 20s. Uh, the North Carolina A&T Aggies are playing Duke. And I, like, if, if Duke, who has already lost to Charlotte, somehow gets a gets a uh, a heck of a game from the Aggies like that only increases our chance of getting a very workable non-con game against Duke to work some things out so we'll am, see we'll see how that one goes am I blanking on this or is North Carolina A&T like regularly in the celebration bowl so they used to be a rough team lately they've been pretty good um, yeah the last three or four years they yeah been decent right yeah they're if if they were ever gonna get Duke this is Ooh, look out, the matchup of teams yep so we'll see oh we, we also have the holy war Utah oh. BYU oh there you go it's all, always entertaining yep Pac-12, not, but Pac-12 after dark, 9-15 central kick. Yeah. Again, it's like the, the Big Ten does kind of have the monopoly on the little bit of meat that, that's on the bone this week. I mean, I uh, – but, I mean, that's – and, again, it's like that's why game day is going to Iowa. But a lot of stuff on – a lot of stuff setting up kind of stuff that's on deck next week. All right. Uh, so that, that um, kind of takes us through. Any other news and notes to mention before we get out of here? I know we're running a little bit long. No, just that, again, this was exhaustive. It was long, but we had to cover it. We had to go through all of these things. It was just, it was that kind of thing. Like, again, it's like, I think that the the exhaustion, the working it all out, I think helps us make sense of it and go forward. And hopefully it helps you guys make sense of it too. And, you know, especially with this one being big, with us not having a big game coming up this week, um, you know, and, and with us because of the Labor Day holiday being delayed a couple days like there was just a ton of meat on the bone here so yeah we went long but uh hopefully you guys are uh, are eating it up so with that we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight head to our website westlotpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions find us on twitter facebook and instagram at westlotpirates and email the show westlotpirates at gmail.com tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on northwestern athletics and look for us in the westlot brian field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter especially the fourth John Lacombe and Eric Scass by Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.